Thank you. Thank you for allowing me some time of quiet. I didn't know how bad I needed it. I took time to do some long, long overdue personal soul keeping. We did a study on it, and I realized that book spoke to me in a way that I wasn't fully addressing and acknowledging. I took time to pray and to rest and to just spend time alone with God. And I needed it. My foot's been kind of pedaled to the metal for 23 years of ministry. And Deidre and I realized that I needed some time to get back to my first love for me and to seek his heart for me and for our church. The pace around here is pretty quick most of the time. And uh, if you ever stop by the office in a weekday, there's not very many of us that work there. It's fast for all of us. A lot of times we feel like we're just running to keep up and I needed to slow down and to listen to God's voice outside all the clamor and all of the noise around me. I needed to spend time with Deidre. I just needed to spend time with God as just Steve. And so thank you. I needed that time, and I appreciate it. But God never ceases to amaze me. Something happened in that time over the last two weeks that uh, I had a pretty good idea of one of them that was coming, and the other one caught me off guard. I never imagined God would use the death of a man that I greatly admired and the death of a, a schoolmate and their two funerals in six days to reinforce and to remind me of my calling and his, my place in his kingdom. And that, that's what happened. These flowers are from one of those services. But that's what God did because God always knows what he's doing. Even when we're not so sure and, and we don't know where things are headed, God does. And before we get into the, God's word today, I think we need to say a word about that. I think it's necessary to talk about what's happening in the world. I've talked to an awful lot of folks that are scared it feels like what's happening between Russia and Ukraine is a half a world away, but in reality, it's as close as the television set or the newspaper that you pick up. It's stuff that's going on that we don't understand. We don't understand the cultures, but we understand war, and war is scary. And what we do know about it is that Russia has chosen to invade specific parts of Ukraine, and what we found out recently is that not just soldiers, but civilians have also been killed. The thing that we don't know is what's really going on, and I say that because if you don't know someone personally that lives in Ukraine, who you trust and who you can communicate with outside of news reports and news agencies, we're never going to completely understand the whole truth of what's happening there. If we've learned anything in America, we know that our country is a deeply divided mess of real news and fake news, and also misleading news and, and fear-creating news. And if that's all that we hear, then what do we do? We live in a place of fear, and God doesn't want us to live in a place of fear. As Christians, we have to be people of prayer, and the world needs us to be people of prayer. Your friends and neighbors and coworkers that don't know Jesus need you to be a person of prayer, not, not just for this conflict, but for all the global implications that it could have. Realistically, it might begin to impact Europe pretty soon. We might feel the effects in our economy. But it's not a time for fear, because fear paralyzes us, and that's not what God wants. It's a time for us to be people of prayer. There's not much that we can do in the midst of that conflict, but we can pray. And God can do anything at all that God wants to do. It's not a new story because Satan has been at work in the world since before the beginning. He's at work in Russian communism that's rooted in atheism, that, that absolutely stands on a belief that there is no God. He's at the work in the United States from the government down to everyday people like you and I and every country in between. And he deceives human hearts and human minds. And he uses the same tools and tactics as he's used forever to lure people away from God's design 
for what it is that God created us to do and to be. And it works its way out as what we can only call evil, and war is one of those evils. He does it to get us to question and to doubt and to fear each other, to make people thirst for power that isn't theirs to have and to divide us from each other. And he does it on a national scale and he does it on a personal scale. Speaking of God knowing what he's doing, God knew that we'd be looking at Acts 11 today and that is so much just in the heart of that chapter in the middle of the book of Acts, how people can get divided on the wrong things rather than united in Jesus. See, Satan doesn't value human lives. Satan values his agenda and his pride and greed and arrogance. And that's what he tempts us with all the way back to Jesus. He tempts us with power and position and money, things that he doesn't even possess, but he wants to try to incite us to go and steal them. And so he promotes war. We need to realize that while Satan is alive and at work in our world, so is God, and that's our hope. We will never understand what's going on over there. We won't even understand when the implications of it may hit our country. But we know that God is at work here and all around the world. And we know that in the end, God wins. There's no American president and there's no Russian president that are going to save us. Jesus will save us. So what do we do? We we have to be people of prayer in this and in all things that look to our creator and redeemer. It's not a time to live in fear, folks. We've just come through this series on fear not. Before that, a year ago, we did a series on voices, the the things that get into our head. And it's time to get our, our hearts and our minds focused on God. God still sits on his throne and there is no war or threat of war that will ever change God or his love for us. Now, Satan can get people to do things that God would have us not do. But that doesn't mean that we have to. As we enter this season of Lent, I would ask that you'd commit with me that we pray for peace, for sure, but also for a godly revival. First among lukewarm Christians who Satan uses as tools of destruction and division, Jesus says, don't be lukewarm, either be hot or cold, before me or against me, but don't be lukewarm. And then among all of the billions of people in this world who don't know Jesus. So with that, before we go on, let's pray. God, there is this no longer looming threat of war. There is what appears to be a real war going on between Russia and Ukraine. God, most of the people involved do not want to be in the midst of that conflict. There are people just like all of us who are just trying to live their lives, to be good people, to go to work, to love their families. But God, we know that Satan is at work and Satan creates desires and ambitions in human hearts that have no place there. So, God, we ask for the safety and the protection of the people who are on the exploding end of missiles and gunfire and mortar. God, we pray for the leaders on both sides that you would give them wisdom and a sense of of peace that they don't have to fight to accomplish whatever it is that they think that they want. God, that your hand would be on this and that there would be a quick resolution to whatever it is that is causing all of this. And then, God, we do pray for revival. We pray for all those people who don't know you. That whether it's us that you use to share the good news of Jesus or someone else, that God, even people who we might not have any idea of ever talking to, maybe you put them in our past so that we can just tell them a little bit about who Jesus is to us. So God, rather than living in fear of the unknown, we live in faith of who you are and that you have all of this in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Acts 11. 
If you've got your Acts journals, okay, we took a little bit of a break away from Acts 11, and a lot of you are probably not carrying them with you anymore, but we're getting back to it. Acts 11 is where we're going to start, and I'm not going to read through the whole text, but there's basically two scenes that happen in Acts 11, and they couldn't be more different than each other. They're both about the exact same series of events. One of them is about what the church leaders do in response, and one of them is about what the people who are involved do. They highlight the incredible difference between what happens when we worship our religiousness and our rules and what happens when we worship and believe in Jesus. So this chapter opens up with Peter. And Peter, we know, is already a great preacher. He's been out doing missionary work, and he's bringing the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. Those people who are not of Jewish faith, upbringing, and tradition. And he brings back to the church in Jerusalem. So this is the church leaders. This is, this is all the bigwigs in Jerusalem. He brings back a report of this incredible mission trip and what God is doing among these people. And rather than celebrating how God is at work among the Gentiles, that, that the word of God is going out, they're welcoming the word of God. They're accepting Jesus. They're receiving the good news. The church is growing. Gentile lives, yes, Gentile lives are being saved in the name of Jesus. You think this would be the greatest cause for celebration ever. But Peter gets back to the church and to the leaders, no doubt to these men that he greatly respects. And that's not what happened. These people that should have been the most excited for the way that God was at work as people were being saved were the ones that could only find fault in what Peter was doing, and in his success, and in his methods. And rather than hearing this great story, they just stopped him in his tracks. They were jealous. They were critical. They were judgmental. Their spirit of religiousness, their love of their own rules, blinded them from what God was doing, because God was at work in Peter's ministry, and not in theirs. In verse 3, they were incensed, and, and basically what they said to him was this, Wait a minute, Pete. You want us to go to uncircumcised men? Because here's what it says. You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. That's their charge. That's what they're focused about. Not that all these people are coming to faith. Pete, you went to uncircumcised men. You went to Gentiles and sinners and you ate with them? We don't do that. We don't eat with people like that. What are you thinking? We don't associate with those people, Peter. That was the conversation. So Peter goes through this vision again of the sheet coming down. And we've been through this already. Where what God says is don't call anything that God has made unclean. He goes through and he tells him about the whole vision. What the Holy Spirit says to him. And he must have been one incredible preacher. Because when he got done with this. And the Bible really doesn't record any other conversation. In verse 18. When they had heard these things they fell silent. They glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They finally got it. They saw through their religiousness. They saw through their rules. And they said, that this, this is good news. God is granting repentance to others as well. And they could be excited. That's good news because we're the Gentiles. We're the sinners. We're the ones that they were upset that Peter was eating with. And God welcomes us to come to him with our sin, to confess to receive forgiveness, and that's the very heart of the gospel. That's why Peter was so excited to go back and tell them. Why is that important to us? Why, why does that matter today? Because it, it gets back to who God himself called us to be as a church. A couple of weeks ago, you heard Brian 
And he talked about something that I said every single Sunday when we were first getting started, just like the three things. I, I, I said another thing at the beginning of every service because people didn't know who we were and what we stood for and what we were about. And I said, we're not going to judge you on your past when you come here. We're just grateful that you're here today, right now, and we're looking forward to the person that God is creating in you and who it is that you will become tomorrow because of him. Because so many of us get burned up and spit out of churches because of the same kind of people and the same kind of attitude that Peter was confronted with. So I said, years for years and years, I said, so so no judging, no condemning, no criticizing, no gossiping. There's no place for that stuff in the heart or the mind or the mouth of a Christian. As juicy as it might be, that gossip and criticism and judgment, that's every bit as much of a sin as whatever we think we're calling attention to in somebody else. And in this quick message that Peter preached to the leaders, I think they understood that. Because they went from criticism to celebration. But you and I both know that church people today can be just like Pharisees in Peter's day. Some people just want to point out and point their fingers and cry sinner. When what we should be doing is splashing buckets of God's grace and the good news of Jesus on everyone, on everyone that we can. I had a professor back in seminary, and she said, our job as a Christian, your job as a believer, is to receive those buckets of grace that God gives you that you don't deserve and to splash that grace on everybody around you. Because God will always fill your bucket up. But what you don't want to do is walk around with a full bucket for yourself. But so what we do instead is we think, well, I've got all this grace. This is what God gave to me because I'm a great person. And and, and as far as that guy, they're a sinner, so I'm going to scare him into heaven. You're not going to scare anybody into heaven. You think you're going to guilt somebody into heaven? No, you're not going to guilt somebody into heaven. Jesus never did that. You may scare them away from church. You may scare them away from an opportunity to meet Jesus. Some of you may have been one of those folks that was scared away from church at one time or another. Speaking of Jesus changing lives over the last three Sundays, we heard eight testimonies from eight different people talking about God at work and changing their life, that they're just simply not the same person that they used to be. God at work testimonies, not from perfect people, but forgiven and redeemed people. And as Christians, that's who we are. Going on in Acts 11 and verse 20, it says, uh, there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is the second part of this passage. This is the other thing that's happening that Peter was telling him about. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. Go to verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. It isn't until Acts 11 that that word Christian first shows up. Christ follower. You're a Christ follower as a Christian. This is the reason for the celebration. God is at work among the Gentiles. God is at work among sinners. And those sinners were being saved, and that's good news. It is for me, and it should be for you, because we are those Gentile sinners, and we know that our only hope is in Jesus. See, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and and this group was was most likely a, a band of Pharisees, They were in love with their laws and their rules, and they were convinced that they were the only ones that could keep them. It was their history, and as far as they were concerned, the Gentiles and the sinners, there was just no room for them in their religion. And yet Peter had clearly told them 
That the Holy Spirit of God sees no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Just like God doesn't see difference between one kind of food and another. God loves everyone. Do you accept that for yourself? I love the way Leah started this morning. Jesus loves you. That's an easy one to say. But you know what? I bet you some of you had a hard time saying Jesus loves me. Sometimes it's hard to believe that Jesus even loves me. But it's true. He does. God loves everyone. So then the question becomes, when we look at this text, if God loves everyone, do you? Do you find yourself loving the homeless person with a beat up cardboard sign asking to spare a buck or two? Or do you find yourself judging them? What about the wealthy couple that's got the great vacation home or all the fun toys? Do you find yourself trying to put yourself in their circle so you can take advantage of some of the good that they enjoy? Do you love both of those kinds of people the same? Because Jesus did. And it's hard in our world to do that. It's hard because to love people the same means we have to treat them the same like Jesus did. But so often we divide and we separate people into how we feel about them or what they can do for us or how it is that they might make us look to the rest of the world. See, Satan wants to convince us to justify treating people in ways we would never want to be treated ourselves. That's what Satan wants to do. Because when we do that, he he destroys a little bit of our humanity. And he, he begins to divide us and suddenly we feel no empathy for people who are different than us because we say, well, they're different than us. I wouldn't understand them anyway. And then those ungodly thoughts and words and actions start happening and we become the sinners. Just like you, there's a reason we did this series called Voices and there's a reason we did this series called Fear Not because just like you, I hear it. I hear the clamor of the enemy, the voice of the enemy in our minds. I've heard it. I've lived with it. I refuse to be a part of spreading it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't get me down. It hurts, and you know that it hurts. People who you look up to, you respect, you, you think you should be able to trust, and who are your friends, sometimes say the most hurtful things. When I gathered together with the one family last Thursday at the, at the funeral home, I said, You're going to spend the next three hours and people are going to come in wanting to say helpful things to you. And some of the things, they're just going to hurt. They're trying to do the right thing, but sometimes it just comes out as the wrong thing. And all that you can do is just love them through it and keep on going. And sometimes in the church, we say some of the most hurtful things. And and the voice of condemnation from the enemy sometimes sounds like our own voice. See, Satan tells us things like this, whether... From other people or whether you just hear them in your mind, see if you can hear any of these. Have you heard any of these yourself? You're not good enough for Jesus. You haven't, you've done too many bad things for God to care about you. You're too much of a mess for Him. You're too selfish. You aren't attractive enough for anyone to love you. You're still an addict. You'll always be an addict. Who do you think you're fooling? You're not smart enough. You're not a good parent. Your kids deserve better than you. People don't really like you, you know. They just feel bad for you. God's promises aren't for you. You don't deserve them. Jesus doesn't love you. He doesn't even know who you are. You've goofed up too much to to expect God to listen to you. You have no right to pray for anything for God. You haven't earned it yet. Church is no place for you. Church is where people who have their lives all together hang out, and that's not you. Friends, that's not the voice of God. That's not grace. 
That's what Peter walked into when he wanted to celebrate people coming to faith. He walked into that kind of condemnation. Maybe you've walked into that kind of a church environment before, and if so, I'm sorry. I'll do everything I can to prevent that from being the case here. See, that's not grace, and that's not the voice of God. In Acts 11.22, it says this, and I love this. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. You see the grace of God. We wear the grace of God on us. We show the grace of God that is in us to other people. We share it in the things that we say and the things that we do. So what is grace? Grace is mercy. Grace is mercy from God that we do not deserve. It is an unwarranted gift a blessing from God. And so we confuse it. We think that if you have a lot of stuff, then you, you, that's extra, extra blessing. If you've got a lot of money, it's extra blessing. That is not biblical. We've had two funerals here in the last ten days, and I have witnessed powerful signs of God's comforting grace. God's comforting grace that the Bible promises us among the families and the friends who were here mourning. God gives us comforting grace. God gives us converting grace. God gives us grace through His Holy Spirit that we are able to come to faith in Him that we cannot do on our own. And because God is who He is, God gives us continual grace. It doesn't matter how many times we goof up. It doesn't matter how, time, how many times we sin. God continues to seek us out in relationship. See, here's what I know about this place. We were called into existence to be a place that showers people with God's love with our love and that, that lives a desire to show them grace when they may have never known or experienced it before. Do you know how many people I talk to come to church so gun-shy? Because the one place in the world they have never seen grace is in the church. It breaks my heart. They know judgment and condemnation. They know anger and they know gossip, but they've never experienced grace. And that just breaks my heart because that's not God. We all know guilt. We know condemnation, but we don't all know the healing power of God's gift of grace. Peter was so excited about sharing the good news of God's gift of converting grace, and those leaders didn't want to hear it. So we'll be a church filled with grace-giving believers. We will show, like the Bible says, God's grace. People will see it on us in the words that we share, in the actions that we show. But God's grace... We kind of have to understand because we don't always under, we don't always experience it. In my mind, God's grace kind of falls like a gentle rain. God's grace falls from heaven like a gentle rain. And, and sometimes what happens is you're in a place where things are going pretty good and you don't really even need it because yeah, there's nothing about your world that's particularly dry or parched. And then there's times that you are just plant. You're a plant that is so thirsty for water you need the grace. So I'm going back to that professor and I think you know we got to think of grace as these buckets. And as long as we recognize it for what it is and understand that it's from God, our buckets full of grace can always be full. And we can walk around and, and we can just take great liberties and splash in that grace on everybody around us and things that we say and encouragement that we offer and the ways that we love them and forgive them even though they don't deserve it. And, and we show God's grace in the things that we do. That's what God's called us to do. But, but what happens is sometimes we think we deserve that grace. We think that those buckets are full because we earned it. We think that there's something special about us, that God would show us so much grace and so much mercy that we take those buckets full of grace and like the religious leaders did to Peter, they kept those buckets for themselves thinking that they had a right to them. 
But you know what happens to even the freshest rainwater when it sits in a bucket for too long? It grows putrid. Bacteria starts to grow. And that rainwater is absolutely worthless for what it was sent to earth for. It can't do it anymore. Now it's, it's soured. It's gone bad. Rather than bringing life, it's just full of death. That's what happens when we hold on to God's grace and f- refuse to share it with anyone. When we become the voice of condemnation to other people, we receive grace and sometimes we turn it around and think, well, I'm special. But they're not. And that grace that we should be sharing with the world, we hold on to until it goes bad. And before we know it, we're the ones, our hearts are what has gone bad. When we hear the news about Russia invading Ukraine and all that that might mean, and rather than living in fear, we should be reminded that we don't know what the future holds, but we know that keeps our buckets full of grace, full of water. That God is the same God. We don't even have the promise of our next breath, but we know who holds our future here and in eternity. And today, more than ever, we need to show the people of the world what grace is. We need to share with them the good news of Jesus to show people God's love. When we say that around here we want to love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus, that's the very heart of the gospel. It's a very simple phrase, but there's a lot of depth to it. It is the heart of the gospel. It's the Great Commission in action. It's fulfilling that command of Jesus to go and make disciples. That's teaching people to love Jesus. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. That's what the Christian church is supposed to do. That is who we are called to be when we claim to be believers in Jesus. That title that comes up in Acts for the first time, Christian, that's the name that we take on. So I spent a long time over the last month, very specifically seeking God's heart about where are we going as a church. We've had such tumultuous times in our country. Talk about disruption and upheaval and, and all these emails that I get say, you, you have to have a new plan, you've got to go a new direction, you've got to go do things in a new way. This is why people aren't coming back. This is why, this is why, this is why. And all it is is gloom and doom. And I realize what God wants us to do in the future is to keep doing what he called us to 11 years ago. We're moving in the same direction. We're not going to change the three things. Because in 2,000 years, teaching God's word is still the right thing to do when people gather. Worshiping and praying. We're going to keep going into the world to love people, to welcome, to reach the people of our area in the world with the love of Jesus. Not because we're awesome, because God is. We're going to share the grace of God through our words and through our actions through our love and through Jesus alive in sinners just like you and just like me. And the crazy thing is, just like in Peter's day, that makes it kind of a radical thing. It makes it kind of a radical thing for a church to say that that's what we're going to be about. And so the world is hurting. People in the world are hurting. They're questioning and afraid like they've never been before. And so what do we need to do? We need to confront that with prayer. And we need to go out into the world with a renewed enthusiasm, a new commitment, believing and knowing and trusting that God is at work through you and through me and through this place. It's become really easy to become relaxed and comfortable through this pandemic lockdown. If you still go to an office, you probably don't dress up as much as you used to two years ago. Things have gotten more relaxed. 
We, we've worn masks and we've had closures. And so that's distanced us from each other. And so, you know, in, in general terms, our world isn't as nice as we used to be. A lot of people prefer to tune in online on Sunday morning and catch a service on a Tuesday night because it's easier. When what our faith needs is to spend time with each other here in this place. To share and to receive grace and love and friendship. To be encouraged and to be challenged. And to walk through life with other believers. To serve and to give generally so that we, generously so that we can reach people who are living in fear because they're all around us. We've been taught to grow afraid of news reports of wars and of rumors of wars. Yet you and I and every Jesus lover in the world knows the only hope that any of us really have. That's the good news of Jesus. It's the simple fact and the truth that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. The good news, it's named Jesus. It's not a thing, it's a he, it's a who. And he loves you. And that's the news that we get to share with people. That's who we are, that's who we've been, and that's who we're going to continue to be. A church full of people who are sinners who love Jesus. They're saved by grace, who love people, and who teach people to love Jesus. And I think what the world needs is Christians who will do things that are just that simple. To take the buckets of grace that we have and to use them to sprinkle all over everybody how much Jesus loves them. But we're the ones that get to show them. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for this passage in Acts. Thank you, God, that in Peter's celebration and him being confronted and challenged by the church leaders and the reality that you are at work saving those Gentile sinners, God. Thank you that all of that is a message for us today. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you continue to pour your grace down upon us. And thank you, God, that it is an unending sprinkle of rain that continues to fall that as long as we have our eyes fixed on you will never run out of and so we can share that grace we can share the love that we have in jesus we can share the hope that we have for the future because of jesus with everyone around us god help us to be people who are faithful in doing that it isn't hard might be scary we might be afraid of being rejected but god people need hope And the only hope that we have is in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.